All right, uh, thank you, welcome back. I mean, nobody's here, great. So um, uh, here I am, empty room, uh, empty room, and so I guess I can deal with the controversy from last week, which I keep hearing about. There, there is definitely an emoji con uh, controversy from last week. We talked about three postures in prayer instead of grumbling. We talked about the thankful posture, which is definitely the, uh, the, the hands up posture emoji thing. Then there was, there was the, um, the pleading posture, which is clearly the praying hands posture. But what is the third one? What is the, what is the here I am? Here I am, Jesus, the prayer posture. Um, there have been several proposed emojis for this. Go ahead and put your vote by putting your emoji on the chat. I can't figure out which one I like best. Um, but I, I would, I really do want to find out. I'm sure Laura will tell me, uh, and uh, whoever, whatever gets the most votes. But there's several. There's several that I've seen. So, anyways, that that's from last week. Um, it's probably why the room is basically empty. Anyways, <laughs> this week uh, is wrapping up the the Moses series, uh, which which is I'm, I'm a bit sad about. Although I'm excited about what's next and what's coming up. We have Advent season uh, just starting next Sunday, where we get to start talking about. The birth of Jesus and and just that great uh, that great new beginning for all of humanity. So that starts next week. But we're, we're wrapping up the Moses series, and so I thought I would just start with a, a bit of a recap, um, so we can remember kind of how the things that we've talked about through this this um, all these pages, uh, starting from Exodus chapter one. So. Um, the first set of, of memories comes from the early days, uh, the early days of this series when Moses is being born. Uh, there's a picture on the screen connected to Avaris, the, the city that Moses would have uh, been uh, raised in. Um, there, there's also the, the Nile there with the palace reconstruction right at the right location where the banks of the the, where the banks where baby Moses would have would have come, but but basically in those early days we talked about Pharaoh Pengenu, who is not the one pictured there, but Pharaoh Pengenu, who is the Pharaoh of the North, uh, Pharaoh here at Avaris, and he's the one that ordered the the babies to be thrown into the Nile River, and then we we talked about Princess Merit. Pengenu's daughter, and Princess Merit being the one who is there on the banks of the Nile, right there um, by the palace, and she draws Moses out of the water and decides to adopt him, probably the only person in Egypt who could have defied the Pharaoh's order, her father's order, to adopt this Hebrew baby. So we talked about her. Um, eventually, um, she gets married. She gets married to Kenneferi, who that's his statue there at the, at the bottom, uh, one, one of many. And Kenneferi was uh, married Princess uh, Merit. He was the pharaoh of the southern half of Egypt, and he married um, Merit. But and so effectively, they combined the kingdom. Not um, not uh, not initially, but. Over time, when Pengenu dies, then Egypt becomes one Egypt again instead of a divided kingdom. And so we, we're, we looked at a lot of that sort of stuff around the birth of Moses. We learned this kind of stuff from historians, Egyptian historians such as Artapanis, who was writing in the 300 BCs or whatever. He had access to the, the great library in Alexandria and, and wrote up the history of the Jewish people. We talked about when Moses was a prince and in his 20s how he was uh, fighting the, this war against this, the Kushites who had invaded from the south, ultimately bringing peace after about a decade of conflict uh, by marrying the, the princess of Cush, apparently according to the historical records there. We talked about Moses being, um, being in Midian and there for 40 years and meeting Yahweh at the burning bush before returning. 
to Egypt. That's kind of the early days of Moses. The next set of pictures here would have been the, the next phase of, of the Moses story when he returns 40 years later, new pharaohs and all that sort of stuff. And we talked about how Moses comes to uh, confront Deutimose, uh, the pharaoh of the Exodus story. We learned about um, him from the Egyptian priest Manetho, and that's his document there at the bottom bit. It, he wrote in Greek around the 300s as well. And he wrote about how God smote the Egyptians. And you can see um, evidences of the plague pits in Avaris. Uh, you can see a slave city there, Kun. Uh, and you can see the bricks mixed with straw there. You can also see the top manuscript is from Epuer. And Epuer was the one who was the Egyptian wise man who lived through the plagues as an Egyptian wise man. And he wrote an eyewitness account of, of the decimation uh, of Egypt. Uh, it, his goal was not to confirm the story of the Bible, but it's, a, it's amazing how you have an eyewitness in Moses and you have an eyewitness in a pure writing about the same events. So after these plagues and, and this, this part of the series, then we we were leaving, and we, we were journeying to the Red Sea. And so we, there's some pictures here connected to the Red Sea, and we, we talked about the journey to the Red Sea. We, we talked about the journey through the Red Sea, and we talked about the celebration of the Red Sea miracle. We talked about two potential locations, the Nueva Beach crossing in the north and the Tiran Street uh, crossing down at the bottom street. It could have been a street. I mean, it was just amazing underwater land bridge street. I mean, that's uh, my favorite bit, but uh, I'm not sure it's yours, but uh, hopefully. Uh, uh, but yeah, so we talked about the Red Sea crossing there. That's the big recap, uh, basically, of of the Moses series. If you have not heard the series, then you're, uh, hopefully that's a tease, and you're like, whoa, I want to know more about who, the, who is Princess Merit and all that kind of stuff. You can go back on YouTube and watch those. Hopefully, if you've been watching the series, that was uh, jogging memories uh, as we've gone through this series. What was your favorite bit? I'd love to see on the chat afterwards, you know, just to kind of hear what, what your favorite part of this, the story was. And, um, and I, I know that I've gotten a lot of the Red Sea Crossing today it was a lot of people's favorite bits. You can say that, but if you say the Red Sea Crossing, I'd like to know your second favorite one as well. Uh, just just kind of hear the things that you, you love. Anyways. Today we come to the final chapter. We come to Exodus chapter 16, and I'm going to let it set the context for us because it does a good job in the first three verses letting us know what's going on with this story. So I'm just going to start reading in Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 1, as we come to the final chapter of our study here. It says this, the, Israelite, the entire Israelite community departed from Israel. Elam, or Elim, and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire community grumbled. <laughs> the entire community, Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by Yahweh's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. 
Oh boy, what, what a bunch of whingers there. Anyways, here's our, here's our map for where this setting is going to be taking place today. Um, you can see, basically, it now looks like Barney the purple dinosaur. Uh, after looking like a griffin last week with all the extra purple there, the big purple circle is the two would be where the wilderness of sin is based on the Exodus uh, route. Um, every Exodus route to every mountain has an area that, that it's proponents call the wilderness of sin. There is no wilderness of sin that, that's like locked in. So there's going to be one on the Sinai Peninsula for those who were trying to go to the wrong Mount Sinai and, and here as well. So um, it's going to be taking place in one of those two circles. Um, the X uh, there is Elim or Elam, and that's the starting point from verse 1 where they journeyed out from as we move towards the real Mount Sinai in, in Saudi Arabia. The other picture there is just a random picture that's taking place along the blue route um, in the wilderness out, out there. But it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's wildernessy. It looks something like this no matter where, no matter where you are in this journey. Sometimes a little bit more hills, but, but very wildernessy. Okay, so that's, that's kind of the context. Last week we talked about how the, the, the Hebrews started grumbling, right, after just three days. Um, grumbling in the passage today goes from grumbling being directed to Moses, but being received by God. When you're grumbling to people, maybe leaders or just about life or whatever, you're ultimately grumbling to God, even if you don't realize that. That's what's happening. And, and God calls it complaining in this passage. In fact, he uses the phrase complaining while the people are grumbling. He's talking about complaining. So just be mindful. And we talked about how we don't want to grumble. And we, want, we just want to refuse to be those people. We talked about that last week. We won't talk about that much this week. Uh, and instead, the right posture, uh, to, the right way to respond is the, via the emojis. So, you know, the, the not the emojis. I, I'm thinking of emojis. But, but, but actually the right way is, is through prayer postures, including the thankful posture. Like, you know, God, thank you. Um, the pleading posture. God, please intervene. And Jesus, here I am. The, the prayer posture. Re receiving, receiving on that. Anyways, so those are, those, that's the right way to respond instead of grumbling and complaining. Uh, even though the topic comes up a bunch, we're not going to touch it anymore today. Instead, we're going to look at the lesson, the spiritual lesson for this week, which we're going to find in the next verse, in verse 4. It says, Then Yahweh said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are going, or the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way, I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Okay, that's what's going on in this chapter. This whole chapter is a case study on whether or not people will follow God's instructions. And I get it, they've been burned. They've been burned. They were hungry. They thought they were hungry enough to die from, from hunger. I mean, they're, they're totally complaining about it. And, 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 and it's, it's hard to trust God when you're disappointed in the past. It's hard to trust God when you feel like he didn't come through for you fast enough about things that were important to you. And yet, it, that's, that's no excuse for us. We're called to be trusting God and following God well, even if we don't feel like He's, even if we don't feel like he's going fast enough for us. They were hungry. 
but they're still called to trust of moving forward. So we've got this case study here, and there's a lot. Uh, I'm going to actually just kind of pick up um, as it, after it talks about complaining and complaining and grumbling and stuff like that. I'm going to try and pick up around verse 11 and, and see what happens here when God provides for them. It says, and, and the test, specifically, what is the test? It says, Yahweh spoke to Moses, verse 11. I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the I am, your God. Or I am Yahweh, your God. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, manna. What is it? That manna is, what is it? That's what it means. What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, it is the bread Yahweh has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual. So God's just told them how much they need. They, they didn't know. Take as much as you need, two quarts. You need two quarts per individual. According to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered had a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. Very simple. No one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning. And it bred worms and stank. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece. And all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what Yahweh has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest. A holy Sabbath to Yahweh. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded. And it didn't stink or have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Yet, on the seventh day... Some of the people went out to gather, but they did not find any. Then Yahweh said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Understand that Yahweh has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days worth of bread. Each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named the substance manna. Oh, that's just, that's where the sentence stops. The house of Israel named the substance manna. <laughs> uh, meaning, what is it? It resembled coriander seed, was white, and tasted like wafers made with honey. 
Okay, uh, there's, more, there's more verses here, but, but that gives us a good, a good view of what the dilemma is right now. In recap, they were hungry. They were very hungry. God provides food for them, right? And God is testing them now to see if they'll follow his instructions or if they, if they won't. Even though God's instructions were not complicated, fears maybe, just doubts, not finding God could be trusted in their own opinion, uh, maybe human reasoning or whatever, it seems to make it hard for them to trust God. I mean, think about it. God says, only gather what you need for today. Very simple uh, direction, but it was ignored by some. And you're like, okay, why? Why? Why would it be ignored? Well, maybe because they would actually have to trust God to provide for them tomorrow. I I hinted at this a little bit earlier, but if you, if, like they were hungry for a while, right? For a while, like hungry and they thought, you know, they could die, right? There's nothing out there. But if you haven't felt in the past like God has provided quick enough, you're going to hesitate trusting him to provide for you tomorrow if you've been provided for today. Because, wow, okay, God may have provided for me for today. Lucky, <laughs> lucky he provided for me today. What are the chances of him providing for me two days in a row? Or 40 years of days in a row. And you start to be like, oh, can I trust God to provide for me tomorrow? What I want to do is hoard. I want to hold on to, I want to cling on to what I have right now just in case I I don't have enough for tomorrow. Just in case God doesn't provide tomorrow. He provided today, great, but if he doesn't provide, I want to make sure, I'm going to hedge my bets, and even if I have to compromise a little bit, even if I have to do a little bit of disobedience, I want to be safe. I want to be wise. And so I'm going to, I'm going to compromise here because, you know, maybe God will provide, but, but we'll see when we get there. It, it, it's human tendency to, to not trust God to provide, to, to, to not view him as, as, as trustworthy. Instead, to try and make sure we can take care of ourselves just in case God doesn't actually do what he, what he says and be our provider. Uh, we we, we want to kind of hedge our bets. You know, some people do this with their offerings. I don't know of anybody in our church that does it with their offerings. I genuinely don't. But, but I know in Christianity this happens. Um, some people in their offerings, they're like, okay, I'm going to hold on to my offering until the end of the month just in case God doesn't provide enough for me this month. And if he does, then I'll give my offering. Where God directs us to give our first and our best, like at the beginning. To, to give first as an offering. You've, you've provided for me today. I will trust you with the rest. But, but there's people out there who, who hold on just in case God doesn't answer their prayer. It's the same manna thing. It, so I can be self-sufficient in case God doesn't help me this month. There, there's just other things like when, when you're being redirected in a big life change. How can I let, God says let go of this and go to this. How can I let go of this? How am I going to get from here to there? How, is, how, is I, how am I going to be taken care of as I walk this journey with God? It's scary. It's risky. And I, I don't know how it's going to come together. What God wants you to know is you can trust him with the basics. You can trust him to be uh, who he says he's going to be, you can trust him to provide for you. And it, it's not that you may not ever feel hunger or uncomfortable, but even to this moment, all you have needed, he's always provided. How do I know that? Because you're here and you're listening. Anyways, uh, so there's, there's that bit. And then there's this plot twist, right? So trying to get people to trust God to provide for them tomorrow. But then there's the Sabbath test which is the exact opposite. And, and they have now learned that if they save the manna, 
whatever it was, overnight. If they save it, it's going to stink and it's going to be full of worms. But God tells them that this exact same stuff would work very differently on the Sabbath only. Only. And that different than any other day, they, they were going to need to now save the, the, the manna overnight. They were supposed to save it overnight because he didn't want them to work on the Sabbath. And so he wanted to say it. And, and then the question and the test is, will God trust him? Will God's people trust him in this direction? Will God's people trust him in this direction? This is going to require them to ignore their previous experiences. Which is a very difficult thing to do. To trust God when he's asking us to do something where we've had bad experiences in the past. We saved the manna and it rotted and it stank and it was full of worms. We trusted God in the past with our food and finances and it was uncomfortable. It was more uncomfortable than we want to go through again. We, we did that in the past. But God's saying now trust him and, and today it's going to be different He's, gonna, he's asking them to trust him when, when the directions he's given to follow are different than what they've experienced before. So God's like, will my hungry people, will my humbled people follow my instructions? Uh, will they not hoard food in case I don't fulfill my promises to them? And, or will they follow my instructions that go against their previous experiences? Those are the test questions. Forty years later. Forty years later, Moses is writing Deuteronomy. And he's going to be writing about this moment uh, looking back. And this is what he writes in chapter 8. He says this. He says, remember? Remember that the Lord, your God, led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness. So that he might humble you and test you. To know what it was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. How does God know what's in your heart? Yes, he can look at your heart, but he can also just see what you do. That, that's how he knows what's in our heart, because what's in our heart just overflows. Oh, faithlessness, lack of trust, okay, you know, th those kind of things. Or, or, or strong faith and resilience and, and perseverance. He can see what's in our heart based on our behavior. But, but continuing on verse 3, he humbled you, God humbled you by letting you go hungry. By letting you go hungry, he humbled you. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known. So that you might learn that man does not live on bread only, or on bread alone, but on every word as well that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Uh, we live by obedience and doing what God says he's going to do. So heaven's perspective here on, on chapter 16 is that God was testing them to see if they were going to keep his commands to follow him. And he did that by intentionally humbling them. You ever feel, you ever wonder if you're in in an uncomfortable moment, you're feeling hungry, or you're feeling like, like you know, God, where are you? You're not providing. You're not doing. You're not answering this prayer. I'm feeling really uncomfortable, strained, stress. I don't know what I'm going to be doing in my next step. I don't see the way forward. You ever think about that as God, God humbling you to test to see what's in your heart? We tend to think like, oh man, God is not listening to me. No, no, no. He's actually probably pretty much very acutely paying attention. Okay, what are you going to do in this humbled moment? What are you going to do when you're feeling humbled here? Here, God is humbling them by letting them go hungry. So he can teach them what's really, really important. That life, we don't just live by food. We live by obedience. And it's not food is most important and then obedience, like what we're seeing in chapter 16 here. 
That's their practice. Food is more important and then obedience. But there's a, no, no, no. It, it, food and obedience, not just food, but obedience a, as well. It, as much as important, you never compromise in obedience just for the sake of food. Je, Jesus quotes the same thing when he's, in, when he's talking in Matthew chapter 4. He's being tempted by the devil. And, and we read this, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Finally, right? You know, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was finally hungry. No, no, no. He was probably hungry well before then. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I mean, you're hungry. Just, you're God. Just tell them. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, so you got Jesus, he's weak, he's hungry, he's humbled by this. And when he's weak, the enemy knows this is the moment to swoop in. When Jesus is uncomfortable, when he's hung hungry, this is the potential test moment. And if that's true with Jesus, you know it's true with me. And if it's true with Jesus, you know it's true with, with you as well. When we are weak... When we're not feeling good, when we're hungry, when we're thrown off, when we're afraid, when we're discombobulated, when we're worried. It's a great moment, an opportune moment for the enemy to try and get us to stop trusting God. To kind of put the God trust thing on the shelf while you sort through the things that seem so important to you. That don't include obeying and trusting God. And the enemy wants you to just be, okay, why don't you work on the bread thing first? And then, why don't you work on the, the challenge in front of you first? And then we'll get back to the obedience and the godliness, you know, when you're feeling better. But Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works. You don't ever put the obedience on the shelf, the God stuff, the holiness stuff on, on, the, on the shelf. Uh, my guess is if you're like me, you're... You're way more, way more likely to mess up, whether sin or not trusting God or just grumbling and all that kind of stuff when you're stressed and when you're not at your best. But we're still called to, to, to walk in God's ways and not put that on the shelf. Anyways, back in, in Exodus chapter 16, the Hebrews struggled with this. They tried to save food instead of obeying God's word. And to not save the food overnight instead of trusting him, they prioritize food over obedience. You would think by now, guys, right? You would think by now that they would know <laughs> that God could be trusted. And that should, he should be trusted. And he, that you would think they would know, like, no, no. Like, they should, he, they should deeply get this, that God could be completely trusted. I mean, what have they seen? They have seen God provide Moses. This, this rescuer, this deliverer to lead them out of slavery. They have seen God smite Egypt with ten brutal plagues that decimate Egypt, that break the stubborn will of Pharaoh until he finally releases God's people out of their multi-generational evil and awful slavery and send them on their way. They have seen God part the Red Sea with their own eyes just a few days earlier and parted it so that they could walk through on dry ground and then come washing over the, the army of Egypt and so that that army was all drowned. They have seen God provide water out of undrinkable water. The water was bitter and then they saw God provide water that they could enjoy. Uh, and now they've seen God provide bread from heaven which will feed them in the middle of nowhere every day for the next 40 years. They don't know that yet. In fact, actually, that would be really discouraging if they did. But, but until they get to the, the promised land. You would think by now that they would know 
that they would know that God can be completely trusted and it's okay to, to trust his quirky seeming directions, the ones that don't make sense, but you would think he'd earn the trust here, right? But they, they struggle even with very simple directions. And the reality is we, we do too. I mean, you would think, like with us, right? You would think that we would know, that, that we would know, that we'd know that God could be completely trusted. Uh, I mean, we, you, you, he, we know that he sent his son Jesus. We're going to talk about the birth of Jesus over the next couple of weeks. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, proving that he loves us. Oh, I don't know if God's paying attention. He's proven that he loves you and that and, and dying on the cross for you, for you and forgiving your sins knowing you before the foundation of the world, calling you to be his son or daughter, to invite it in his family, filling you with his very own Holy Spirit, something that was not going on in, in, in the Old Testament days with God's people leaving Egypt. He has rescued us from the dominion and the, the, yeah, the kingdom of darkness and be, brought, him into the king, brought us into the kingdom of, of Jesus, the son, uh, the son of God. He saved us. He's forgiven us. He's been with you all of, all of your life. God has heard your prayers and he has answered more of your prayers than you even remember praying. God has answered more of your prayers than you even remember asking. He has answered so many of them. Many of them you've forgotten. You would think though by now that you would know that you would know, that you would know that God can be completely trusted with, with quirky and seeming directions. And, and, and that we would have an easy time trusting him based on how much he's poured out his love. And he demonstrated and proved it over and over and over again. He's always taking care of us. Look guys, as we move on from the Moses series and into the Christmas season, I want to encourage you that the same God who did extraordinary things by rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt has done even more extraordinary things by rescuing you, rescuing you from hell. By, 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 by redirecting your life to grace and mercy and freedom and, and, and eternity with God. Your God can be trusted and I encourage you to push yourself to trust him. To push yourself to, to follow him. This could be a humbling season. This could be a humbling season. Lockdown the next couple weeks here in Glasgow. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing on the news some ideas are, that are being proposed about, about what Christmas could look like. And they, they look better than nothing. Uh, but, but what Christmas could look like for families over the next couple weeks. But no matter what happens, guys, uh, today, the, the next couple weeks, over the, over the next holiday season, I encourage you to not be shaken by any of this. I encourage you to not be shaken. To not let the differences or the disappointments, don't let them get to you. Just don't let them get to you. Our world is being humbled right now. We're being tested and God's able to see what is in our hearts. I encourage you to not be shaken by this moment because you know God can be trusted and we're not going to be people who are going to grumble. I, I, I want you to not be shaken. I encourage you to be resolved to not give in to sin. Even though maybe you're feeling weak and not at your best right now. I encourage you to not give in to grumbling and, and complaining and, and compromise at this, this time. Don't give in. Don't give in to grumbling. Don't give in to sin. Don't be shaken by, by whatever's going on here. It's, it's a test. Are you going to set your life to following Jesus well in these days? Feel free to be thankful. 
feel, feel free to plead with God for change. Feel free to, to, to be like, Jesus, here I am. Uh, you, you see me, and maybe I, I'm lonely, I need your help, I need your guidance. You know, pray, seek him. But, but don't be shaken. Refuse to be shaken. And that's the challenge for today. The challenge is this. Be resolved to be unshaken by the COVID-19 implications of this Christmas season. To have a good attitude, no, no grumbling, and live in obedience to the godly life God has called, called us to. I, I'm really proud of uh, my wife and the Reapenso team for their flexibility during, during this time with shifting events. I'm really proud of Laura and the, the, the team here and the shifting of the Christmas times. I have not heard grumbling. I've not heard grumbling. And I, I'm really thankful uh, for, for their examples. Guys, we, we can do this, but we, it's going to take intentionality. So, so let's go for it. Be resolved in this way. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for, for, for us as a people that we would be able to shine like stars. Uh, in this time. God, I pray that you would give us a, 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 a strengthening in, in our spirits. That, that you would set our, our hearts clearly on uh, our hope that we have in you and our delight that you are paying attention. God, I ask for you would, to, to strengthen us all on the, on the inside, in our inmost beings, for whatever the challenges uh, and, and discouragements in the day ahead. And I pray that you would fill us with hearts that reflect your Holy Spirit's presence. What is that? That's like the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit's presence. That you would fill our hearts with things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. God, I ask for, for those to be the attributes of all of us during this, way, during this time, God. God, help us, encourage us, and, and help our, our testimony to be in our, on our perseverance and our steadfastness in these days. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.